Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together today around your Son to hear from Him all the words that He gives um, that are for our life, our forgiveness. Uh, We ask that we would be attentive um, and hear Him well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, chapters 5 and 6. So remember, chapter 4 ended with the healing of the... Official's son. Yeah, that official nobleman's son. Okay, so let me get to 5. Chapter 5 starts with the healing of a paralytic. So we have two healing miracles. Welcome. Two healing miracles back to back. So um, maybe it's not as much of a leap as I might have suggested. Let's read it first, and then we'll look at the sheet uh, as far as my notes. So actually, you know, I say 5 through 16, 1 through 16. I almost feel like, welcome John, I almost feel like I want to read through the end of the chapter. But uh, that would be a little bit bulky. So why don't don't we read 1 to 16 to get started? Um, Notes sound weird without reading. It's all right. It's all right. Don't worry about it. We're just going to go to 16. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called uh, Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Uh, I guess you could read 17. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. All right, good. All right, now, some of the things I want to address with you, there's a lot of things here. I think it's a dense, dense reading. Um, And John is... We've talked about this at length, actually. You know, it, does he give us details just flippantly? You know, just you know, just for the sake of the narrative, or to point out like historic or uh, topographical kind of notes? Well, partly, yeah. I mean, we have timeline, right? So he'll talk about certain feasts, and um, and you have seasons. We had that already, right? Remember the four? We talked about the four months and the harvest, right? So sometimes, um, but I've tried to argue for you, and I think we have to just keep doing this, uh, that in addition to it being literal, um, historical, you know, like geography and that kind of thing, in addition to that, he's indicating these things to show that the history is not, what do you want to say, casually happening, but that it's actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament, that Christ is the answer to the law in particular today. Um, and he does that by indicating certain festivals, um, you know, archi- architectural features like the five roofs colonnades. Like, why mention that? 
because um, everybody knew it had five roofs, but we'll talk about that. All right. So um, now there is an argument, and I, this is in the first paragraph. It started with Tatian, who is a scholar in, the, in one, about 170 AD, so a long time ago, and it just keeps getting repeated that somewhere along the line, chapter five and chapter six got reversed. Uh, there's, as I note, there's no manuscript evidence for this. We don't have a copy of John's Gospel that has five and six in the other order. <laughs> so it's a pretty difficult argument to make. Um, at least according to manuscript evidence. That said, um, I can see where, where the argument comes from. Because you notice that in chapter 4, where were we? At the end of chapter 4. Yeah, Galilee. Cana of Galilee, right? And then in chapter 5, we jump to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Uh, okay. And then, But if you look at the beginning of chapter 6, where are we? Yeah, we're back to Galilee. And the beginning of chapter 7, where are we? 7 verse 1. Just, I know you have to flip pretty quick there. Yeah, we're back to Galilee. So you see, 7 begins in Galilee. Actually, does it? The end of 6 is in where? Also Galilee. Yeah. So, like, why do we go to Jerusalem and then come back to Galilee? Wouldn't it make more sense to be in Galilee and then continue into Galilee into chapter 6, then go to Jerusalem, chapter 5, and then go from Jerusalem back to Galilee in chapter 7. That's the argument. Um, it does violence to the text itself. Like I said, there's no, it's not like we have even one manuscript <laughs> that has it this way. But I, I bring this to your attention for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because as we talked about, you know, John isn't recording everything all the time. He's recording the things that we... But, you know, we talked about this last week with signs so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's recording history for the purpose of faith. Okay, um, That means he's not going to always tell you everything. Sometimes translators don't really help us because they don't give us the, the clues in the text themselves in a way that's explicitly, oh, I understand. We just had a jump of time. All right, And I'll give you one of those in a minute. Um, and what was the other point? Uh, I don't know. I had another point, but it's gone. So... Uh, the thing that's in the text that actually is really helpful for this is uh, in, in my English it says after this and it says right there in five after this and you're like after, does that mean immediately after that in the Greek it's actually a little less determinate it's like sometime later <laughs> well how long later it doesn't matter. It's sometime later. And actually, we don't even know exactly because it, he doesn't even tell us what feast he's going to Jerusalem for. Right? But he is going to Jerusalem for a feast, and it's sometime later. So just saying after this, um, how did it end in four? Uh, let's get up there. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee, which is also kind of a, the narrator just stepping out of the text a little bit. right? And then there's going to be, okay, sometime later, there was a feast of the Jews. And I don't know. Is that, that happens in stories all the time, where they just kind of skip over sections of time because, I don't know, he took a nap. It's like, we don't need to talk about him sleeping and his snoring and everything, right? <laughs> it's not material to the story. So whatever happened in between, it doesn't matter. He's back in Jerusalem. All right? And uh, I think that's an important note. Now, I said this is a new section. If you look at the second paragraph, sometime later, and we also know it's, you know, a new section, because, or I would suggest it's a new section because we've changed location. We're now mentioning this Jewish festival, and we're describing a new scene, this pool of Bethesda. But, as, as much as it's a new section, um, there are a lot of things that are parallel. And I'll give you some of those. So you see point one, uh, we have two healing miracles side by side. Right, the end of four, beginning of five, and they're both uh, connected with Jesus being the giver of life, giving life. Two, uh, the healing of the paralytic and its response in Jerusalem connects us with the whole topic we talked about last week with the father, you know, Vaterland, <laughs> the fa- the fatherland, my, his own country, as I think it usually is translated. All right, so he, we just heard about how he's not going to be accepted in his own hometown or in his fatherland. And then in the very next chapter, where is he? In the fatherland. And what's going to happen? Because of the miracle and what it confesses, he's going to be rejected by the, by the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, they're going to accuse him of blasphemy and, and want to kill him from there on out. All right? 
So, so that's a pretty strong connection, right? Between four and five. And I think we've talked about this. These chapter markers, even especially verse markers, but chapter markers are really late additions to the text. If you would have read the gospel, I don't know, you just read the gospel. You didn't, and you hear this with Jesus. They open the scroll of Isaiah and he finds a passage. Well, how does he find it? He reads, it's like, oh no, it's a little bit further. I don't know how you do a scroll. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's not it. All right, there we found it, right? And there's no, there's no, the chapter and verses are helpful for us to just kind of get our way around, but they weren't in the, in the Old Testament text, especially, but not in the New Testament. You know, think about like a letter of Paul. I mean, is it going to have, is he going to put chapter markers in this letter? No, not really. It's, as a matter of fact, some of the letters are short enough, they don't even have chapters. All right. Three, another theme, where is it? The pool of Bethesda. What's in a pool? Water, right? And what is, what is it? All these, by the way, the common English pronunciation is invalid. Invalid, okay. I have to correct him. I don't, you know, you don't want people to be like, what's that guy saying? Where? This is my problem when I was a kid because I was like really into tech. My parents had no clue what I was talking about. So everything I read, I mispronounced. And, they, and so they really didn't know what I was talking about because I didn't even pronounce the words correctly. Anyway, so it's invalid. Yeah. Um, there's all these invalids. What do they want? They want healing, right? Now, we, we're going to talk about this maybe. We'll probably talk about it again next week. But uh, there's this thought that healing is somehow, I don't know, how, it's like a lesser thing and that the big deal is the resurrection of the body, right? So to overcome death. But actually, the fact that you get sick at all is an indication that you're dying. Their body doesn't have defense against, against the wages of sin. Right? You know, a virus. You think um, viruses in creation? Flu? Right? Bacteria? Well, there would have been bacteria, but they all, it would have been completely collaborative and cooperative with the human body, the bacteria. Which is still kind of true, right? Who's our science? John, I keep looking at John. He's the science guy, right? You know? Yeah. Talk to the kids about their microbiome. I did this to my niece. It totally freaked her out. Because she's like, she's like, what do you call it when you're like sensitive to like bugs and things? Like agoraphobia or something, right? It's like, whatever it is. Yeah. So she, and then I told her, I said, no, you're, the reason why the skin flakes off is because the bacteria helps... You have, you have a, there's bacteria growing on your skin. If your skin's like super dry, it would actually die without the bacteria. I'm like, what? And I, this is the same reason why you can digest your food. You have all these things growing in your intestines. How old is she? How old is, this was Amelia. How old is Amelia? Seven. Ten? Yeah. So, same age as Naomi. It's, and it's not meant to freak you out, but, but then those same bacteria, when you die, what do they do? <laughs> they eat you from the inside out. So um, it's collaborative and t- for a while. <laughs> and eventually, that's the moth and the rust and the worms. Worm food, as they sometimes say. All right, so these people are there for healing. And healing is, a type, is, is the giving of life. It's a restoring of life, right? And especially if you think about like a paralyzed man. I mean, he can't really, quote unquote, live because he can't move, right? People have to carry him or even send him into the pool and they're not even doing that. How he got there in the first place is the question. Well, anyway. Um, so, giving of life and water put together, and we've ta- been talking about water and the giving of life in chapter 4 and chapter 3. Must be born again by water and the Spirit. <laughs> it's been a theme. The water pots being turned to wine in each chapter. What's John doing in the, in the Jordan? He's baptizing. Okay. You get the picture? Yeah, water's been a big deal. Four, this is really interesting. Jesus finds the man. So that's all the way, you have to go forward for that. That was in verse 14 there. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more. Nothing worse may happen to you. Where does he find him? In the temple. Now remember, Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well, what had he been talking about? The place of worship. The temple, where living waters come forth from the temple, which you can read in Isaiah and elsewhere, Ezekiel. So, um, so now we find him in the temple. So you have the temple themes. Oh, and Jesus himself tabernacles among us. John one fourteen, the prologue. I mean, you could translate he temples among us. That'd be a fine translation because the tabernacle and the temple are 
synonymous with the temple, just being physically made with bricks in Jerusalem. But it's the continuation of the tabernacle that went through the wilderness, the dwelling place of God. So we've been having that theme quite a bit of the temple, and now he's in the temple. Jesus 5, Jesus' special relationship to the Father, which we see we didn't get that far. Well, we got it in 17. My Father is working until now, and I am working. So what is Jesus saying? My, my work and the Father's work are... Yeah, they're the same. I'm doing the work of the Father. Um, can he do the work of the Father unless he's sent from the Father? And then he's going to really get into his relationship to the Father again in, later on as we move forward in the next section, which was a theme right at the prologue. It was right at the beginning of the Gospel, right? You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. We already talked about that. Hmm. Oh, six. Jesus brings life and he brings judgment. Okay, so we'll see that theme come up in the next section as well, where the paralyzed man receives life, but those who won't receive his life are judged. Right? They actually are they're condemning themselves to death. Um, and life and judgment, those two themes together, that was with Nicodemus back in chapter 3, which we talked about. Right? That there, this is the judgment, he says. That um, they love the darkness rather than the light. Remember that? Okay. Um, Jesus comes to do the will and the works of the Father, which we'll see in the next section as well. All right. So all there's as much as it's a new section because new location and you know all of that, we're continuing the same themes, but he's actually going to expand them out even more. Uh, and the big one is, of course, the Sabbath and the, the relationship to the law, um, which is in the next paragraph. All right. So certain man invalid for thirty eight years. Uh, was there. The prologue indicated that the relationship of Jesus to the law was going to be a major um, issue in the Gospel of John. Remember, we talked about this when we covered the prologue, those first 17 verses or so, or 18 verses of John's of the, of the Gospel of John. Is that right? 18? I think so. Um, that it's like the overture. I, I read an article this week that was suggesting... Um, that we need to uh, bring back the intermission with these movies that are like, you know, three hours, three and a half hours long. Somebody's coming. It's a Netflix. It was made by Netflix, but it, it's going to be in theaters first. Got to think who it is. Martin Scorsese. This is Scorsese's film. Yeah, it's like three and a half hours, and there's no intermission. And I'm like, seriously? So you remember the old the old days? There would be like an overture which would introduce all the musical themes, which also introduced all the themes of the movie. Then you'd have like the intermission, and then you have the entre-acte. Remember that, the entre-acte? That would be, that would be a little bit of a musical reprise to get you back, basically, so people come back to their seat. <laughs> they hear the music coming out of the theater, and then they, have to, they come back in to sit down, and then the second, you know, the second act begins. And it came out of the theater, right? The, the like drama theater. Um, why did I bring this up? Oh, interlude. Well, again, you had the overture at the beginning of the, of, the, of the show, especially with musicals. And the overture introduced all the themes we were going to hear in the movie, the musical themes, right? Or at least the major ones. So, um, so John's gospel, the prologue, is the overture. That's what I'm trying to say. And one of the themes that comes up there is, again, Jesus' relationship to the law. How is it said? Maybe we should just look at that because... It's one thing to talk about something. It's another, it's another thing to look at it. John 1, 9, beginning in verse 9. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And then skip ahead to 14. Well, I mean, you have all this bit about receiving him and not receiving him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. <laughs> We're going to get that today. But 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, if you want to see the will and work of God, you look not to the law the, the given by Moses, but you look to the Son. All right, grace. Now, uh, how's, it, how's it said in Hebrews? In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, by his Son. We use that in what service? Evening prayer, maybe? Vespers? I can't remember. 
It's, that's the reason I know it by heart, because I say it enough times in church. You repeat it. You get it. So this bothers some people, I suppose, the idea that Jesus, in a sense, replaces the law. But he doesn't, he doesn't get rid of the law. Oh, my. We're in the totally wrong spot. Okay, fine. Sorry if it's jumping around up there. We'll go back to chapter 5. Okay. Uh, in a sense, he replaces the law, but actually, I would prefer to use the terminology that he uses in John's gospel, is that he completes it, or he fulfills it. You know? Paul uses the language that he ends it. We heard it last week as our epistle, right? That Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness for those who believe in him. So uh, this is the perennial pharisaical problem, is to say, by obedience, I can um, be pleasing to God and, and pleasing enough to be received into heaven. Um, you as Lutherans know this all too well because this is the whole Lutheran Reformation. I mean, it's at the heart and center. The reclaiming of the gospel is, in part, the flip side of that is putting the law back in its place. Not, not as a means of righteousness, um, at least before God, but rather um, as the tool that God, the Holy Spirit, uses to point you to Christ for forgiveness. He shows you your sin, that you would receive Christ for your salvation. So this is going to be a major issue in John's Gospel, and it comes up here um, as well. And you're going to see it, um, and this is really important, because this healing of the paralytic, um, I think we've talked about this in other contexts, it's not just like a story, and then, it goes in, then Jesus goes into like a discourse with the Pharisees about another topic. Now that does happen in the synoptic Gospels especially, where you'll get like a story, and then There'll be some indication of a, of a time or place change, right? And then immediately he went out to there and did this. And then immediately he went there and did this. That's Mark's gospel, okay? So they may be somewhat connected, but it sounds like he's just kind of jumping around until he gets to the cross. In John's gospel, we don't even see that. Because remember, uh, he, Jesus himself goes right into a discourse at the end here. Afterward, he found him in the temple, said, you see your well, the Jew... The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. So John, the evangelist, tells us right away that the reason why they get upset with him is because of this healing. And then Jesus answers them, and then he has a long conversation with the the Jews who were seeking to kill him about, again, the healing he had just performed. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it was on the Sabbath, right? Mm. Which is what we're going to talk about in a minute. I have another question, too. Mm-hmm. Verse uh, 7. Yeah. Kind of uh, oh, sorry. interesting. Makes me wonder what it's talking about when it says when the pool stirred. Ah, yeah. And the first one in is healed. Yeah. And only the first one. Any of you know the answer to this question? It's, there, a, it's pretty cool. But... Is there a deeper meaning to that? Yeah, there is. But not deeper, but there's more information that you need. Anybody know? What's this whole deal with the pool of Bethesda? There's supposed to be an angel that would come down once a year and stir it. Yeah, so if you were in the pool, that once a year when the angel showed up and did the little water stirring, then you would be healed. And <laughs> I know it sounds kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. That's like um, making a pilgrimage, you know, to, I don't know. Oh, it was like last night. I, a friend of mine, was he was sitting on, a, on his chair in his backyard to try to see the Aurora Borealis. If you're there at the right time, you'll get to see it. I've seen them one or a couple times actually. Saw them in Alaska, but then I saw them once in northern Wisconsin. That was the night I got the speeding ticket because I was watching the thing in the sky and I did not know how fast I was going. And the police asked me how fast were you going. I'm like, I don't really know. I was watching the stuff in the sky. It was crazy. Anyway, um, I was also tired and trying to get there quickly, so uh, that's my fault. All right. So Ron's question, again, stirring up the pool. It seems like a weird little thing. Um, <laughs> the, what's weird about it is that John actually acts as if it actually happened, that this happened every year, and that they, people would bring their paralyzed people, and they just wait, thinking maybe this is the time that he's going to show up. Um, I mean, generally people camp out, you know, for something when they're pretty confident that it's actually going to happen. So... 
you know, like the new, it used to be when the new iPhone came out, you know, they would camp out out in front. I did that once. I got, got there at like 10 p.m. the day before and stood in line all night. It's a cultural experience. It's like waiting in line for the premiere of, I don't know, whatever. I did that too many times, actually. So, you know, you want to be the first one there and you want to be the, you know, the one who gets the excitement, like the women at the tomb, you know, the first people who get to see Jesus resurrected. It was a big deal. You know, it was a special gift to them. So they act as if it actually happened. Um, but it doesn't matter, actually. I mean, even if it did happen, it, even because it happened, I would say it did happen, but um, now you have Jesus. That's the point. Um, we transitioned from this like mystical, weird thing where this pool by the temple had this property, you know. John, do you know where that's written? I know I've read it somewhere. Is it scriptural? Uh, I've heard it before too. My Bible, let's see. Does it tell the angel of a certain time would come? I don't have any note about it. And I didn't take a note when I was studying it. Yeah, they actually, this is pretty recent that they, they're confident they found it. It's actually a series of pools you know, that move back because of the elevation there. But the colonnades aren't there anymore. That's part of the challenge. I think, or maybe one of them is. I don't know, I haven't been there. Yeah. Uh, So, again, we have some notes here. It's a feast of the Jews. It's a Sabbath, which are also, as Ron pointed out, those are strong indications (laughs) that um, there's going to be a conflict here because we don't know what feast it is. That just means that that was the occasion for him to be there, but certainly the Sabbath day, this is going to come up again, I think, in chapter... I'm going to take chapter 7 or 10. No, it's definitely, yeah, it's chapter 7, I think, um, where there's another healing on the Sabbath or a thing on the Sabbath and they get upset with him. Um, so this is the confrontation, and it's really over the Sabbath that the Jews want to kill him because he, he upends what they think about it, of the Sabbath. We can talk more about that in a bit. Um, let's see. I want to give you some of the things that people have done as far as preaching with this. <laughs> And you can see them there. We don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Since St. Augustine, so 5th century, um, they've seen the five colonnades as indicating the five books of Moses. And I don't really have any problem with that because that's the whole context of the conversation is about the law given by Moses. So so that's the suggestion. Why the five colonnades? Why are those mentioned? Again, to point us to say, this is going to be a story about Jesus' relationship to the law or to Moses. Follow? And if you take it at that, it does, I don't think that's too much of a stretch to suggest it. I mean, you could say, eh, it's just immaterial data. That's fine, too, if you want. Um, I like to see it a little bit richer than that. And Moses in the scriptures are witness of him, is what he will say later in chapter 5. So Moses does come up here in a bit. Um, now, another point I made there is that the, the healing is associated with the problem of sin. And I think... I was kind of alluding to that earlier, but when, we, when I said that, um, you know, healing isn't like less than resurrection of the dead, but healing is a picture of the resurrection of the dead. I mean, it's a little resurrection, if you like. And why is that? Well, think about it the other way. Why do people die? Because of... Sin. Because of sin. That's right, yeah. And Paul's explicit about this. And I quote him at some point here, probably on the backside of the page. Um, so when Jesus forgives sins... What is he leading you towards? The removal of the wages of sin, which is death, right? Now, now I bring this up because sometimes people accuse Lutherans. I don't understand why, because it's, it's been the tradition of the church, and it's also I mean, St. Paul explicit in Romans 5 and 6. But um, that healing, when we, when we talk about healing as being the forgiveness of sins, as being together, they say, oh, you're not taking the text at its face value. Jesus is talking about making people physically well. You're like, yeah, he absolutely is. Not, not questioning that. But as he said, and we, we heard him say, <laughs> he says, ah, I see you're whole again, physically. Go and sin no more. You're like, wait a minute. Why are you saying that? It's because bodily healing is an indication of the forgiveness of sins for Jesus. For Jesus, right? So uh, what's interesting is that when uh, pastors, deacons, elders visit people, 
Historically, not so much now, but historically, what did they do? They brought the means of forgiveness because they believed with forgiveness was healing. Okay, So anointing the sick. When you anoint someone, you anoint those who are sick to bring healing because uh, oil is cleansing. Uh, did you know that? It's like we use soap and antibacterial or whatever that garbage is. That oh, Sorry, uh, that stuff that <laughs> in the pump. Um, I know I mentioned this before, John will remember. Who was the actor that was like addicted to this stuff and ended up like ruining his hands? Ah, oh, I heard an interview with him. He would like, he, he actually knew the, found, uh, the creator of Purell personally and like was like an original beta tester, this actor. And he would like, he would do it all day and it actually just, it just destroyed his skin because he killed everything, including the good bacteria. Didn't we just talk about that? Okay, why did I bring this up? Healing, um, forgiveness. I don't know why I brought up the Purell thing. Anybody remember? Oil. Oil is healing. Thank you, John. Uh, what else do we bring to those who are sick? The sacrament of the altar. Now, this is, this is one that um, if I ask people, you know, you want me to bring you the sacrament? They'll say, nah, don't need it. You're like, are you going in for surgery? Are you sick? Yes. Well, then why wouldn't you want what, what this Jesus says gives forgiveness? Well, why would I need forgiveness? I need healing. You see? They go together. Yeah. And so the, the ancient confession is that the Lord's Supper is the medicine of immortality. It gives eternal life. Right? So why not have at least a taste of that gift now? Um, so uh, we run into all sorts of problems where you, you can't give the sacrament to people because they're on restricted diets after surgery <laughs> or before, even before surgery. So... Um, I can't necessarily bring it to the hospital because you're probably, like if you're going to have heart surgery, you've probably been fasting for, what, 12 hours or something at that point? Maybe eight hours, unless it's an emergency. Um, so usually before major surgery, you can fast. So it, we have to do it in anticipation of that. And then after surgery, is the same problem. No, like only liquid diet. Like, okay. So I try to be attentive to that. But still, um, it's appropriate to ask for the sacrament in times of physical need. Because with forgiveness comes, as we say all the time, the catechism talk, teaches us to say, comes life and salvation. And we're not just talking about eternal life. That's, in, that's wrapped up in salvation. We're talking about life now. Mm. The only reason why any of us exist and are alive now is because God, has, God the Father has sent His Son Jesus to die for us. It's for His sake that we are alive now. Even those who don't believe in Him. Mm. Maybe that was too profound of a statement. <laughs> Do you understand that the wrath of God has been appeased by the Son, right? Meaning we don't die, we don't experience, I mean, we don't die eternally, but, but that we're not immediately struck down. I mean, we only see little bits of what the manifestation of sin could have been, could be like when we see like a mass shooting, like yesterday, or you see an earthquake or tornado or hurricane. I guess hurricane's another one, yeah. We're seeing, though, I mean, that's what the wrath of God looks like, absolutely. Um, and it isn't, it, it, maybe it doesn't seem fair to us that some people experience it and others don't. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is, is that God is actually restraining creation from destroying us each and every day for the sake of faith in His Son. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we just say it more simply. This is say each day you say this is a gift from God. Is another way of saying, each day, I don't deserve to live today, but I live because um, God loves me and has given his son to die for me. Okay, all right. That one probably, I don't think it went over your head, but maybe it has to sink in for a little bit. All right, another fun detail is that the man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. Sorry, Ethan. In an invalid for 38 years. What's that? I don't even know what the actual word is. I forget now. What is an invalid? It's kind of a general category, right? For what, is, what does Luke say? Sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed. Yeah. The paralytic is included in that broad thing. Mine says there was a man who had an infirmity for 38 years. What's yours say? Anybody have anything different? Invalid. Invalid. Yeah. It's uh, uh, asthenia, which is just like a general sickness or disease. This little Bible says one man was there who had been ill for 30 years. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, that doesn't sound as 
serious as being a yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, it's an interesting use in the translation. I mean, it's not. It's really not that strong in the Greek. It's just people who are sick. Yeah, but but blind, lame, and paralyzed are those are generally more significant conditions, especially in the ancient world where you don't have things like the ADA and you know, you know, seeing eye dogs and and uh, elevators and <laughs> all the things that we kind of need uh, when when we are invalid. Okay, why 38 years? Now, this one might be a little stretch for you, but uh, we've seen this theme over and over and over that what is Jesus bringing about like with the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans who come? He's bringing about a new Israel. He's restoring Israel, but he's actually doing more than even what Israel or Judea or the Jews want because he's bringing the, the Samaritans in to, to back into Israel and he's even going to bring Gentiles in too, right? So... His Israel is a lot bigger than what the Jews think it is, which is basically the tribe of Benjamin and Ju- Judah and a little bit of Levi too, because you know they don't have a homeland. <laughs> um, so I, this is what I would suggest, is that this is another representative of the new Israel. And that's fine, because you know this from Old Testament. This is Isaiah, right? The lame will leap like deer, and the blind will receive their sight, and the paralyzed will walk, right? Well, that's the lame. What would be the blind lame? Oh, you know, the deaf will hear the words of the book. And this is the restoration of creation. Right? And it's given to his Israel, his people. And so he's actually going to give them an exodus too. And his exodus of this blind or this paralyzed man is going to be from the pool of Bethesda to the temple. But don't stay in the temple. Now go home, basically. And actually, he, I, he ends up being a follower of Jesus too, I would argue. So he ends up following Jesus rather than hike, you know, hang. He doesn't need to hang out at the pool anymore. He's healed. And he doesn't need to be in the temple because his sins are forgiven. And he has Jesus. So he stays with Jesus. Right? And now he's going to go with Jesus wherever he goes. Prior to his being healed, he must not have known who Jesus was. Oh, it's that so. Because when they asked him who did this, he didn't even know who he was. Well, besides that, he, he was depending on somebody to put him to the pool rather than to have Jesus himself. Here. Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? No. It's in verse 4, which is not in the translation. Oh, in this one? Oh, it does skip verse 4. Look at that. Good. Yeah. There's a note about it. This is the ESV, which probably says verse 4 is an addition. Some manuscript insert wholly in part, waiting for the moving of the water. The angel went down. Oh, there's the answer, John. Yeah. It's only in some manuscripts. Oh, for the angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water, and whoever stepped in first and after the stirring of the water was healed. Of the, da, 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 da. Okay, so that's where it is. It is in this. So uh, what the English Standard Version does, which is the version we use in church, and actually my New King James actually includes it. Huh, that's why. I was like, where is it? Because it wasn't up there, but it's here. Um, is they're suggesting that this was a later edition. And it's based on manuscript evidence. So most of the copies of John don't include verse 4, which may indicate that somebody along the lines like, okay, John, nobody's going to know this story in a generation or two. So we gotta, we got to insert it in there. And that's not really, again, that's not really hurting the text or its veracity. It, it, it's like a, um, it's a little bit of a commentary um, and it, I mean, what would you get from this, whether it's scriptural or not? I guess that it actually happened. Thanks, Ron, for figuring it out. I missed that it wasn't up here, and it was right here because you were reading ESV as well. well. It must have been included before um, the constant. Oh, right. Well, no, this is so. By the way, ESV is is a broad manuscript tradition, meaning it uses multiple copies. New King James, Old King James primarily used one manuscript, which is the Codex Vaticanus, I think. All right. Um, and it didn't rely... I mean, you think about when, King, when was King James Bible translated? 1600. Yeah, so six, it, actually, it's based on like Coverdale and earlier translations from the time of the Reformation. And it comes in late. It's late Reformation. Yes. Um, it's pretty, actually pretty middle of the Reformation, right? I think like 1540-something that King James comes out in English. You think Luther does his translation in the 
1520s into German, and we already have English, we have multiple English translations happening in the 1540s. It's because the idea of translating the Bible wasn't unique to Luther. It was already happening. It was part of the humanist tradition that Luther um, jumps into, and the, the waters he was swimming in. Because um, you had Erasmus had the first Greek, first Greek um, edition of the New Testament in mm, 1512, 1514, something like that, where he had like a, um, a, a new edition of the Greek. Um, so, because everybody up to the point of Erasmus, I know this is manuscript stuff, everybody up to the point of Erasmus, who was of Rotterdam, he was in England, um, was using Jerome's Latin translation of the Greek and Hebrew. And they had been for a thousand years. And Jerome, he actually just made stuff up sometimes. Now, uh, he would just insert ideas. He may have inserted this. It's very possible. But it's in, the, it's in the, at least one Greek manuscript, the major Greek manuscript, because New King James uses it. Regardless, why did we bring that up? 38 years. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk about. Why 38 years that you've been invalid? Um, it seems kind of like, I mean, there's, you could take it an obvious meaning, which means he's been sick for a very long time and there's no healing for him. He's not, he's not going to be, be unparalyzed, <laughs> you know, as he wouldn't have been anyway, but you understand my point. It was a serious illness, the one that was, like, it was lifelong, right? And so the only way he was going to be healed is either by the pool or by Jesus here, right? Um, so you could take it that way. That's fine. Um, I would suggest, too, though, if he's new Israel, um, there is a mention of 38 years in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 1, chapter 2. So um, they, the, the people of Israel lived in sin for 38 years, it says. Isn't that something? Unless it's even before Jesus was born. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I think the... It, I'm not saying it's not true. 38 years, absolutely true. Fine. Um, as far as I know. No reason to doubt that. But the man is 38 years because he's a picture of Israel who was in sin for 38 years. What is it? Should we look at that in Deuteronomy? There's no harm in that, right? We can jump around a little bit. What did I say? Deuteronomy 126. Um, and then you'll see the explanation in chapter 2. Uh, Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, quote, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. That seems like not the kind of thing you want to say to God. Yeah, well, they did. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, quote, the people are greater and taller than we. You know, we have, we have a couple of families like that in our congregation that are just intimidating because they're just tall people. Anyway, you get the idea. I won't name any names. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Skyscrapers. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Uh, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. How far did I say to go? 35. The Lord your God who goes up before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. So there is Jesus, the good Samaritan, right? being Carrying his Israel through the wilderness as the a man carries his son. I guess his infant son. Either that or his paralyzed son, right? Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out of a place, out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and fog by day, to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. All right? So you've heard that curse before, right? Because of their rebellion, they, their children would go into the promised land, but they wouldn't. Now, if you jump ahead, Deuteronomy 2, verse 14, here's the actual, here's, here's that story again. And the time from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the book, Brook Zered, was 38 years until the entire generation, that is, the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn them, sworn to them. How's that? 
No, you know, it's a nice connection because what's the, what's the point? This man who's paralyzed, he's paralyzed because of sin, not sin committed, but because of the condition of sin, right? Original sin, as we call it. And then he's the picture of Israel who needs forgiveness. He is forgiven, he's healed, um, as the people are forgiven and they're given to live into the, live in the promised land. That's something fun, I think. 38 years. Now, what's the next point? Oh, there's another fun detail there, right? Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. Okay, now, you know about the Sheep Gate? No, I didn't. Not very much, so I give you that too. The Sheep Gate was the first and the last part of the wall of Jerusalem to be rebuilt under Nehemiah. So you can read that in Nehemiah 3 um, in chapter 2. Later on in chapter 10, Jesus is going to claim to be the door of the sheep. And he's already, of course, the Lamb of God, as we heard back in chapter 1. And he's going to say again, or he's referring to here again in 14, I think. So we have the sheep gate. Now, what's the sheep gate for? It's by the pool, which is by the? Temple. Temple, right. So what do you think goes through the sheep gate? (laughs) Of course, the sheep for the sacrifice. And what are the sheep for? Sacrifice for the? For forgiveness of sins. That's right, for the sins of the people. Right now, okay. Is it just a geographic location? Is he just kind of giving us an idea where he is, or maybe the idea of the pool and the sheep and the temple all being together is putting those three? I mean, they're together for a reason. That you have new life given through water, which gives the forgiveness of sins, which actually means where there is forgiveness and attached to water, you have Jesus because he is the temple. Well, that sounds like baptism. I mean, there is a little bit of a danger of saying every time there's water, it's baptism in the Bible. But ironically, um, our hymnal does say that in the baptism rite, in Luther's flood prayer, where he he consecrated all waters to be a saving flood. That's Luther saying, anytime you see water in the Old Testament, see if that teaches you something about baptism. Like, I mean, obviously, the flood. um, But he had just done that in the prayer, Right? He talks about the deliverance through the Red Sea and crossing the River Jordan and Jesus being baptized in the river. Okay, anyway. Um, so the sheep gate is where the sacrifice. Oh, note too that the pool is associated with the temple. I talked about this before, which is back what Jesus was saying with the woman at the well. Remember that springs of living water, overflowing with living water, will come out of the temple. And then if you look at the notes, um, I know it's Zechariah and I know it was Ezekiel. I think there was another reference, maybe Isaiah, where there's water coming out of the new temple out of Zion. Okay. So this is, this is all. Um, I, think it's all I think it's all meant to show you that this is a bigger story than what you might just think on bare reading. All right. How are we doing? How are we doing fine on time? So Jesus said to him, go take up your bed and walk. All right. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. I said, again, this is, this is not an incidental story. Um, it's showing who Jesus is, what he has authority to do, um, his relationship to God the Father, and that he's the giver of life. It's all wrapped up in this, telling his man to do, that he could do this. I mean, I don't know about you. I've tried it. It doesn't really work when I go to like, say something. Hey, you know what? Get better. You're like, what? No, I just, just get over it, you know? Just, you know, whatever it is. You know that blockage, the coronary that you have? Yeah. Just get over it. Just walk away. It doesn't work, does it? No. No. So here's Jesus. How can he do such a thing? Not a hard question, I don't think. We teach it to children. So you probably have all heard it. Why can Jesus tell a lame man to get up and walk? Because he's God, but specifically, he's the one that said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be life. Gave, actually, he's the one who knit this man together in his mother's womb. By a word, actually. He said, be fruitful, multiply the creation. And that word's still powerful and evocative. It's doing what it said. Yeah, so he is the creator. So to be whole, oh, well, we're going to say it. We're going to see that in a minute. Um, you, you know, to be whole or to be created anew. What does it say? Where's the whole part? Does, it, does this one say that? Yeah, I did say that. Da, da, da. If you want to be healed, the man said, put me in the pool, get up your bed and walk. 
Take your bed and walk. Oh, here. Uh, uh, to verse 8, right? No, where did I say the wholeness comes from? Gosh, it's a translation problem. Uh, I've lost my reference point. Yeah, I see it on my notes. Um, I mean, I think he's doing here what he said to Nicodemus in chapter 3. He must be born again by water and the Spirit. He's breathing his Spirit upon the man. He says to him, get up and walk. And he's, in the, he's by the pool. He's not even in the water. And he, he rises. Now, by the way, when he says get up, that's a fine translation, or take up your bed. But it's actually a gero in Greek. It means to rise. It's the same word used for the resurrection of the dead. That's another really strong indication for you. When he says get up, he means like, like, like he'll say to the dead in, in, in their graves on the last day, come out of your tombs. Get up. Wake up. That's what he's saying to the man. It's the same word. It's not, and it doesn't really have uh, multiple meanings. It means the same thing. And so the people that are cremated nowadays mostly, mm. and their ashes want to be scattered everywhere, you know, a beach here. Or he, yeah, that's weird. On the resurrection day, I mean, um, when Jesus comes again, I think they may have to like a piece of them. All their parts come from all over. <laughs> yeah. That's the way I'm thinking. Well, I mean, it is true that Jesus says all the dead will raise or rise, including those who don't believe in him. So, which is, by the way, uh, sometimes Christians get confused about this and they say, well, only Christians rise from the dead and the dead stay dead. It's like, that's not what the Bible teaches. All the dead are raised, some unto life and some unto um, eternal condemnation. So, what were you going to say about this? Oh, yes, the scattering of ashes. Um, I actually just put it explicitly in the draft funeral policy that we have. That we don't do it. We inter ashes in the same way we would inter our body, right? So it's buried reverently in a, in a vessel. Yeah. Because it's a confession of the resurrection of the body. Yeah. That's the whole point. You're confessing that the Lord, I mean, I actually say it at the graveside. It's a little, I personally, it's a little harder to say it referring to those who are cremated, but it's still true. It's not, that's not the problem. It's just my conscience. When I die, I don't want to service or anything. I just want the kids to take my ashes and put up, you know, where right. they went on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not a Christian confession. It's actually a pagan confession that there is no life after death. That's right. effectively what you're saying. It's like just that I, you just go, it, it could be pantheistic. So I, I'm, you're just part of creation. You're just part of the whole of the oneness and you just get returned to the oneness, you know, and you... It's kind of like reincarnation that parts of you get used by other bio- biology, you know, other creatures. and uh, That's weird. Um, this is, shouldn't bother, bother us that Jesus can just say, get up and walk, because Psalm 33, verse 9, anybody know it by heart? Not if I just give you the verse and chapter, chapter and verse, I should say. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Right? I, I think you usually hear this whole teaching uh, probably the time I talk about it the most would be something like the stilling of the storm. When he, t- when he tell, I mean, he literally rebukes the storm to be silent. <laughs> That's what it says. Right? Now, how could, I, again, like, uh, is it Hurricane, is it Ionian? Ionian? Dorian. Oh, it's Dorian. That's why I'm confused because it, it's mo- moving through the modes. All right, so it's Dorian, right? Say to Dorian, eh, just go back to where you came. It'd be like telling a great sea creature, just go back into the sea. Like, uh, no, that's not how that works. But for Jesus, it is. So again, if you flip over the page, um, this, this is probably actually a good place to tidy it up. And we'll come back to the rest next week. But this is a story of new creation through the forgiveness of sins, which, as I said, Jesus himself goes there, right? Because he says, go and sin no more in the temple. Verse 14. Um, and the granting of life to be a disciple of Jesus. That's the another important point, which was going to come up in the Sabbath. I mean, the point, uh, the, this is in the synoptics, but I mean, was the Sabbath created uh, by God for men or by men for God? Yeah, God for men. The problem that Jesus is going to bump into is that the men think that the Sabbath is for, is for their worship of God. Yeah. Rather than, they don't, they don't see the Sabbath as a gift. They see it as an obligation or a duty, responsibility. That's the difference between law and gospel, just on a kind of bare level. Um, here, to be a disciple of Jesus is the same as the Sabbath. That's not a burden, it's a gift. 
<laughs> I, and I, I mean, we're dealing with this with confirmation instruction, right? Because the parents look at the, the requirements, right? And they say, oh, that's such a burden, you know, get my kids to church every week. I mean, how can you possibly expect that of me? Like, it's a gift to you. You have church here, well, you have more than once a week even. I mean, can't make on Sunday, come on Wednesday. It's here, as a, it's here as a gift, receive it as a gift. But that's the problem with gifts, right? Now, I learned this from my grandmother, who would give gifts, and then she would, like, every time she'd visit, she'd look for it, make sure it was still, you know, either being used or on display, or that it was, in one, it was, it was whole still, it hadn't been broken, right? And you're like, is it really a gift anymore at that point? Or is it really more like, because honestly, I think my mom just put out some things only when she came because she knew she would be looking for it. It's not really a gift anymore. Now it's just, you're, you're like bound to it. It's like a slavery of a sort. Like you have to put it out and it has to, you have to fix it if it breaks and all this kind of stuff. Rather than just receiving it as a gift to be used until so you can't use it anymore and then you throw it out. <laughs> you know? Um, so you can do that with the Lord's gifts too. He says, come, listen, hear, receive. And you can say, do I have to? Like, I guess in a sense you don't have to, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to? So, yeah, we bump into this. And even being a disciple of Jesus that is following after him, coming to Bible class. Oh, it's such a burden. I have to get up so early on Sunday. You know, and in one sense, I understand that because I'm a, I'm a sinner and I have flesh and I don't want to be here either. And it's my job. So, I, you know, motivate myself to get out of bed in the morning on Sunday. But, um, but on the other hand, I, I, hopefully it is for you. It is for me. It's beneficial to, to my faith and my life, you know, to study God's word with you. So, um, that's part of the challenge uh, if, with the Sabbath. This is going to come up next week as well. Just do you have to keep the Sabbath or do you, I don't know, get to keep the Sabbath? Is it a, is it a gift to you? Is it, a, is it you know, received um, for your blessing that you get to rest once a week? And listen, or in our case, listen to Jesus. Um, I did want to note this. This is where I wanted to tidy it up, actually, is that the consensus in the tradition of the church Beginning um, with early catacomb art, and I tried to find some of these for you, but I didn't. Um, and Tertullian, who is second century, is that the pool of Bethesda and the sheep gate are an image with, together, which points to the font of baptism where there is new creation through the forgiveness of sins. So I'm not just making this stuff up. We're, you're talking about 1900 years of, of the teaching of the church. It's not a new teaching. Um, they didn't see this as a stretch at all. And so in the catacomb, the catacomb is of Priscilla, and it's called the, the Greek, I think it's called the Greek something, so you could look it up. Um, she has all this really incredible, it was a great find, I, can't, I don't know when they found it, but it has all this great iconography, and she had pictures of, she was a wealthy woman, but she has pictures of, of the important stories for her faith on the wall. You know, this is one of, where one of the really famous pictures of Jesus with sheep in, in first century artwork comes from. I mean, it's very early catacomb. And you see it, in a, there's another catacomb too, second century, that has this picture um, next to the font, basically. So it's not a new idea, um, but it, I think it's worth mentioning just because of the way that sometimes what, what happens uh, in our teaching of the scriptures is that we disconnect the story with the fulfillment that Jesus gives. So we think of baptism as like this new thing that just kind of sprung out of nowhere. We've been talking about this with every story in John so far. It's not a new story that pops out of nowhere. Not only is John baptizing by the Jordan, but you have all these pictures of water for cleansing, for healing, for life in the Old Testament. And they actually did things that they would call baptism. Um, because you have the temple purification, right, with the wedding at Canaan. This is not a new thing. And it's, really, maybe I'd say it this way, the, the tradition or the practice of our churches centered around the word preached and the sacraments administered, that is, that is the fulfillment and the culmination of the whole scriptures. It's what all the scriptures were leading towards. That's why Jesus instituted them, because it's what it was always about from the beginning. And we're not just doing our own new thing, and the Old Testament people did their thing. It's the Old Testament things are received and subsumed into what, we, what we've been given to, to do. So, I mean, that's meant to encourage you, actually, just to say, you're not living in this, like, isolated, you're not these weird, Lutherans aren't, aren't these, like, weird people 
that just do weird things. You're so traditional, people would say. Yeah, it's, no, we're, well, we are, but we're in the tradition of Jesus. It's what he's handed over to us, which is a handing over what he received, or he gave, I should say, by the Old Testament fathers and, and prophets and kings and nations. Make sense? So, I mean, you're in, the, you're in this lineage, if you like, or this, this long flowing stream that, that flows out from the temple that is Christ. So just hang on for the ride, I guess. <laughs> All right, go in the Lord's peace. We'll talk next week. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.